Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. So as you know, in the Gospel of Mark, we have been studying three themes, a king, his kingdom, and the continual call to discipleship. And when we think about a king this morning, it's going to become very clear to us just who it is that Jesus is presenting himself to be. Much like David, who was a shepherd of God's people, today he is going to look out at a group of people and see that they don't have a shepherd. Now, that would have been the case the day before that, and the day before that, the day before that, but when they're put in front of them, despite the fact that he needs rest, despite the fact that his disciples need rest, the text says that he has compassion on them. It's literally that he feels for them because he knows the predicament, the trouble that they are in without a good shepherd. And so he's going to teach them. And when they get hungry, he's going to feed them. So it's very clear this morning who Jesus is presenting himself to be. A king, a good shepherd that is going to care for his people. And in the midst of that, we're going to see the kingdom, God's kingdom, touch down in a very unique Well, I say unique. Actually, in chapter 8, Jesus is going to do this one more time and feed 4,000 people that time. But in a unique way, the kingdom is going to touch down. In a way that isn't just fulfilling prophecy, but it is showing the fullness of who Jesus is and the gloriousness of his good gifts that he gives to his people And he's calling each and every one of these people that he is showing compassion for, including his 12 disciples, to follow him. So what's our big idea for today? Here's the big idea. People got to eat. Okay, no, that's not the big idea. That's not the big idea. But in all seriousness, it kind of is, okay? People got to eat. Right? It's so interesting that really the majority of what this, the story that we're reading today hinges on the fact that the disciples were exhausted and they didn't even have room or time to eat. Someone couldn't even shove a sandwich in their mouth because they were preaching so much. Okay, So people got to eat, including the disciples, but maybe a more serious way. But I hope that when I say this right now, that it startles you for just one second. Okay, Jesus gives rest and food for salvation. Whoa, are you saying that rest saves us? Thank God, no. (laughs) Are you saying that food will save us? Not exactly. We're going to get there. Let's study that together this morning. Jesus gives rest and food for salvation. So where did we leave off? Okay, at the beginning of chapter 6, we saw Jesus sending his disciples out. Calling them, commissioning them, sending them out, really as a test run. Not for him to decide if they were good enough, but for him to say, hey guys, this is going to be your job in the future. 
You're going to be my apostles. You are being sent out. And you have very specific things that I want you to do. If you go and preach the good news and people do not receive you, leave that town. Take your shoes off. Brush the dust off of your feet. Um, If they do receive you, preach. Tell them to repent. Tell them that the Messiah has come. And while you're doing that, you have the authority to cast out demons, to heal. So, but then we also saw in chapter 6 last week, the death of John the Baptist. And as we said, all preachers die, including you and me, right? So we don't just see the calling on the disciples' lives, but we see the cost that that's going to have. It's no joke that we know what's going to happen to Jesus for you and for me. But for the disciples as well, what's going to happen to them? And they should know this very well. How? The example of John the Baptist in their lives. One that is sent out to preach and his head's going to get lopped off. So we see the calling, the commissioning. We see the cost of doing that call. Fulfilling that vocation that is on your life. And this week we're going to see Jesus showing compassion, even even to his disciples here. In verse 30 we read that the disciples came back and they were telling Jesus about all the things that they had done and they had taught. Now Jesus knew very well everything that they had done and taught, right? He told them what to do and what to teach. And yet they come back, and I don't want to impugn, I don't want to judge them, because frankly I do the same thing all the time in my head, right? If I share the gospel with someone, man, I can't believe, yeah, I did it. I did that. Right, and that's what they're doing. They're coming back to Jesus and saying, oh, Jesus, you'll never guess what I did today. It's literally like children coming back to a father and saying, hey, did you see the way that I put that screw in? It's like, yeah, and I put 20 more screws in ahead of you, right? And yet the, the children are so excited, and that's what the disciples are doing. And Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say, okay, I gave you power for a little bit. Now give it back. Even though we're going to see here, even when we get to this distribution of this food, that that's so quickly where the disciples' minds go. And we're going to see next week that that's where the disciples' minds go. Uh, One theologian coming, he grew up in Germany after World War II. His father's generation was gone. His brother's age group was gone. He grew up, and he called it a theology of scarcity. That there's only so much good work that God can do. That there's that we can't pass it around too much because, well, God's only got so much power, so much authority. And in a way, that's, way, that's the way that the disciples are acting here. They're, they're acting like there's scarcity in this power. But Jesus doesn't demand power back because he's got all the power. He says, hey, good job, guys. You need some rest. Let's go rest. Let's go get you something to eat. And this is, this is what it hinges on. They don't even have time to eat. So here starts a new mission. Go find something to eat. Okay? <laughs> get some rest and go find something to eat. But that mission is going to be thwarted. It's not going to happen the way that they want it to. In verse 32, we see that they decide to get into a boat and go to a desolate place. Um, But as you can imagine, uh, they're in a boat. They're 12 guys. 
They're hungry. They're tired. They're fighting against the wind and waves. Every time they get in this boat, there's wind and waves. Okay, we're going to see that again next week. Why is that? Because there's always wind and waves, right? But while they're trying to go off to a desolate place, moving slowly, apparently, everyone that's on the shore starts seeing them, and they start going back and telling their friends. And they say, hey, hey, I bet they're going over there to get some rest. Let's go pounce on them, okay? Let's go get that good news. Let's be reminded of what it is that this guy is preaching and teaching. They're desperate for it. They're desperate for it. In fact, I believe it's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 18. What does Jesus say? He says, blessed are those that thirst, hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? The disciples are hungering and thirsting. Jesus is probably hungering and thirsting. And everyone else is hungering and thirsting for what it is that Jesus has. And they're going to go get him to see if they can get it as well. In verse 33, we read this. Now, many saw them and were going, okay? They got to the town ahead of them. 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them. These sheep needed guidance. These sheep needed guidance. Um, Now, it's interesting because this is not the only time in the Bible that we see this phrase, sheep without a shepherd. It's not the only time that we see this. Um, In Numbers chapter 27, we read this. Who shall go out and... Okay, the situation here is that Moses is getting old. Moses, is, Moses realizes that there's no one to replace him. And so he goes to God and asks who's going to replace him. Joshua is picked. And what is Moses' big concern here? Here it is. Who shall, who shall go out before them and come in before them? And who shall lead them out and bring them in? That the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep without a shepherd. Moses is a good shepherd. He's concerned about the sheep that God has placed under his care. And then in Ezekiel 44, um, I'm going to be reading from verses 4 to 16. We read this. Uh, This is God speaking through Ezekiel to bad shepherds. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered. Because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts. Since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. 
Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will know and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord, here's, it's going to keep repeating. Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. And he's going to continue. I, I myself will do this. We continue to read things of this nature um, in Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock. Who's doing it again? God's going to do it. So very clearly now, when Jesus says he has compassion for the sheep, because they are like sheep without a shepherd, what's he really doing? He just sits down and starts teaching them, right? He says, I'm your shepherd. He says, I, I myself will guide you. I will be your shepherd. Very clearly here, we see who Jesus is, who it is that he's declaring himself to be. Um, I didn't think I was going to have a PowerPoint this morning, so I didn't put it in. But have you ever seen a picture of a sheep that's been lost for a long time? I know a couple years back, um, there was a sheep. It was in Australia, of course, Australia. Uh, (laughs) There was a sheep that had been lost for like six years or something like this. I don't even know what this is in kgs because the article had it in pounds, but it was 90 pounds of wool on it. It was struggling to walk, though it was quite muscular at this point, and it had so much wool growing up over its face, it couldn't even see anymore, okay? And then they get it back and they shear it off, and it's just this skinny little sheep, all right? This is what Jesus has seen. He's literally seen, Chris was the sheep's name, okay? Like Chris the sheep out there. Covered in wool, he's blinded. He's been left out there with no direction to feed off of things that he can't even see. And the leaders of the nation are not doing anything to feed the people. All they're doing then is mounting law on top of law on top of law. Not giving them the good news of this law is actually pointing to something. And Jesus is here to change that. Um, I have a lot of other passages just about sheep and shepherding. Okay, I'll try to take it easy here. (laughs) In Genesis 48, we read this. Um, He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my father Abraham and fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life, Long to this day. Who's the shepherd? God is the shepherd. David says in Psalm 23, we all know, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. What's he doing? He's giving rest. He's 
quenching thirst. He's quenching hunger. He's giving restoration. He's putting righteousness on that sheep. And for a reason, right? For a reason. For His name's sake, the Lord is the shepherd, David says. Last one for now, Isaiah Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 to 11. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, hear the good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead them, lead those that are young. This is what Jesus is doing. He's not just forcefully leading these people. He's gathering them up in his arms, and he's preaching to them the good news that we have very simply studied over and over again, is repent. Repent and follow Jesus. Okay, verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is late. Okay, so it's a desolate place. There's no food trucks out here. There's no street food. There's no mamas standing on the side of the road grilling, in, grilling up any birds or fish or, or bread. Okay? It, they're in the middle of nowhere. So what do the disciples say? It sounds like a reasonable request. They say, hey, you know what? Just send everyone away for a while. Even though... If we were to look at it in the Greek, it means that it's, it was like afternoon, okay? It was early afternoon, and now it's passing into evening. It's going to get dark soon. No one's going to come back after they've traveled all the way back to their villages. The disciples are just saying, let's be done with this. Let's, let's just be done for a while. You told us that we needed to rest. Let's rest. Which isn't it? They're, they're kind of right, aren't they? So for now, Jesus is teaching them something else. He's not rebuking them for the way that they came back and said, hey, look at all the things that we did and taught. He's gently correcting them. He's picking them up in his bosom like lost sheep, and he's saying, you're missing one thing about all the miraculous things that you did in my name. You're missing one thing about what you taught, and that is that the circumstances are far more serious than you could understand. And we're going to see, not until chapter 8, do we even get people confessing who Jesus is. And we're going to see next week that the disciples are utterly confused by this miracle that's taking place. Not only are they utterly confused, but next week we're going to read that their hearts are hardened because of it. Here they went out, they were teaching, they were doing things in Jesus' name, they were healing, they were casting out demons, and now they're seeing Jesus, Jesus did all that stuff, we can do what Jesus does. Now they see Jesus do something that is completely outrageous. Something that they understand that they don't have the authority to do, and they realize that now... Yeah, even though they are good disciples of a good master, 
They're missing something. Next week, we're going to see that their hearts are hardened because of this event. Not because they're tired and hungry. Okay? <laughs> so how does Jesus respond? You give them something to eat. I don't think that this is like a mouthy, smart-mouthed challenge that Jesus is offering. I, he's probably being serious. No, no, no. I have, I've led you along in this. What can we do? And they say, well, we, I guess that we could maybe round up enough money, but even eight months worth of cash, we would maybe be able to feed 500 people. We've got 5,000 sitting here in front of us. What are we going to do with that? So Jesus gives them another task. Go and see how much bread you have. They come back. They say, we have five loaves of bread. We've got two fish. Great work. <laughs> Jesus, send them away, please. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't send them away. He doesn't admit defeat. He wants the disciples to take part in something here. He wants them to take part in a very important activity. He wants them to be serving. Now, we actually see something similar to what's about to happen in the Old Testament as well, back in the book of Exodus. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. Here's the situation, though. Moses is ministering to God's people. He's exhausted. He goes to his father-in-law and he says, Jethro, these people are running me ragged. I'm exhausted. What am I going to do? And Jethro says, okay, Moses, here's what you got to do. You got to, he just gives them a simple leadership lesson, I guess, if you want to say it like that. Jethro is a priest, right? <laughs> this is probably more about keeping Moses alive for the long haul. He says, look, let's just think of something simple here. You need to count the people off. Okay? You need to appoint leaders who are trustworthy. In the church today, we would call those people elders. Okay? Um, and you need to appoint these trustworthy elders, and you need to count off the people, put them in groups of 1,000, then in 500, then in 100, then in 50. And then you're going to let these, these elders, you're going to let them manage the little problems. And then when there's a big issue concerning God's law, that problem can be brought to you. Or if there's a dispute that can't be handled, let that get brought to you. I don't think it's any mistake here in Mark's text or in Matthew's account. This is the only miracle that's found, one of only miracles that is found in all four Gospels, okay? Um, I don't think it's any mistake that the language that is used here is not just simple, a simple leadership lesson, Okay? It's much more than that. <laughs> we see that Jesus is holding himself up as this new David, this king that is going to be a shepherd over God's people. And he's holding himself up as Moses in a way. Just in the same way that he gave the disciples some authority to go out and to teach and to preach and to cast out demons, foreshadowing what they were going to be as apostles, he's saying to them now, you guys are a part of this, okay? I'm going to need your help now. And your help includes taking part in this miracle. Your help includes organizing these people so that everyone can get fed. You are going to be trained to be shepherds right here and right now. Good shepherds over God's flock. 
So continuing on, we see this is what happened. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Which, okay, I'm just going to nerd out for one second about this, okay? Very interesting language here, okay? Uh, this, <laughs> this language, groups, okay, this word that's used for groups is actually talking about flower beds, okay? I know that sounds a little bit strange. And then they're supposed to sit in the green grass. What Mark is doing here is that he's painting a picture for us. He's literally painting a picture of a field full of blossoming flowers. People sitting in groups. Little flower patches in the midst of this green grass. It's also no mistake that Mark uses this word green grass. Okay, this is one reason for doing this is because clearly this is coming from an eyewitness who was there that day, probably saying, well, it was springtime, the grass was green, I remember that. But also, because this green grass can very easily point us back to, throughout the entire Old Testament, what is this green grass, what does it symbolize too? Well, it symbolizes blessing. It symbolizes sheep being fed. It symbolizes uh, livestock growing and God's people being blessed. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 30, when we read that God gave all the green plants that were good for food to Adam and Eve. So here they are, a bunch of flowers sitting on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set them before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. All? You mean the twelve disciples? No. All here is pointing to the 5,000 men that is referenced in chapter 44. Hold on. Were there women and children there? Did the women and children not get to eat? Okay, you've probably heard it all before. But yeah, it's probably a lot more than 5,000 people sitting there. Uh, Why are we talking about men? Well, in some ways, this passage is specifically pointing to Jesus as head, who's handing down authority to the disciples. Uh, But usually... Families were counted by the head of the family standing there, taking responsibility for his smaller flock, feeding his smaller flock. (laughs) My flock is crying right now, but I think Tara's got it under control. Okay, so now there's a couple of ways that we could misunderstand what's happening here. Uh, For hundreds of years now, it has been taught by people that don't believe in miracles, that what's actually happening here is that everyone got a little crumb of bread and everyone just got a little chunk of meat and they divided it up and everyone ate the tiniest piece and it was like space food. Everyone was full all of a sudden. Okay. That's very clearly not what's happening in this text. Um, That would be a wrong way and a bad way of reading what's happening here. Um, not only is that doubting who Jesus says that he is, but then it's also doubting that um, miracles are possible. Okay, all right. So we, we want to affirm that this is a real event that really happened and that 5,000 plus people actually ate food that day that was provided to them by Jesus. 
We also don't want to see here that this is just some sort of spiritual food, like we already said. All of a sudden, people were satisfied. Um, when uh, actually back in that passage in Exodus, when Moses then is dividing up responsibilities, it says that after all the organization took place and, and, and people were put into place to deal with the small problems, Moses to deal with the large problems, you know what words used there? Everyone was satisfied. That's exactly what's going on here, okay? But it's not just spiritual or legal or organizational satisfaction like we see back in Exodus, okay? Um, This is actual, real food being given to people on the back of real teaching. And this word satisfied here is not just speaking to a full stomach, though it is speaking to that. It's that Jesus taught everyone and they were satisfied. Jesus fed everyone. And they were satisfied. You're going to walk away here this morning and you're probably not going to be totally satisfied with everything that I did say or everything that I didn't say. These people were. You're going to have uh, tea and biscuits this morning and you're probably still going to get, like, be hungry later. You're not going to be totally satisfied. We're going to share a meal up here today. And... It's not going to fill your stomach. Also here, I know that this passage has often been taught to say, can you, this little boy, he had so little, and yet the, the Lord multiplied it. And he multiplied it and he blessed everyone. Okay. That's not untrue. It's not untrue. But it's also not the point of what's going on here. The point isn't that God can take a little and make a lot. It's that there is no scarcity, no lack of anything with Jesus. We could say it like this again, that Jesus gives rest and food for salvation. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that there, as, as we've already studied together, Jesus always did miracles to point to his message. He always did miracles to point toward, to his message. The point of his miracles was to, in this case, fill people's stomach. Stomachs, but it was also to point to his message. Now, we don't get the reactions of everyone in the crowd except for they were satisfied. But we're going to see next week that the disciples were not totally satisfied. They weren't totally satisfied. Another interesting detail here that we should not overlook is the fact that there were 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish left over. Who took those baskets home? The disciples probably did. Who was hungry when this whole story got started? The disciples were. Uh, it's also not a mistake that how many tribes of Israel are there? There's 12. Okay, yeah. We get the idea. What is Jesus doing here? Just like we read about in chapter 1, when Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And we read about from Jeremiah. What was the point? What, what was someone who was a fisher of men? 
This was someone that was bringing in everyone that would one day belong to God's people. We saw in chapter 1 that Peter and Andrew and James and John were going to be the first ones to do that. We saw at the beginning of chapter 6 that the disciples were actually being sent out on their own now without Jesus to do just that. We see here then as well that um, they are given the responsibility of putting these people into groups. And these fishers of men that have gone out and that are preaching that good news of repentance and bringing people into God's kingdom, right? Um, We see here that Jesus is providing for those people's needs. Saying, I know you started off this day hungry. We're going to end this day with you being overly blessed with a basket full of food. Because I'm starting something new with you. Starting something new with you. It's a continued picture of what we're going to see throughout the rest of the Gospel of Mark. What we know happens in the book of Acts. What we see happening up until Revelation when we get the beautiful promise that people from every tribe, nation, and tongue are brought together under Christ, unified in Him. This morning, we want to transition now. Oh yeah, what do I mean that Jesus gives food and rest for salvation? Well, the rest isn't going to save you, and the food isn't going to save you. But the blessings that Jesus is giving out here is pointing you to something greater. The fact that Jesus is infinitely powerful and infinitely powerful to save. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.